Well, good morning, church. How's everyone this morning? Wow, yeah, that's good. Oh, that's awesome. There's one person here that's stoked, which is great. Hey, my name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here, if I've not met you. And um, I just wanted to say, um, baptisms are really important. Now, a lot of us sort of think, oh, maybe I'm not ready to be baptized. But as soon as you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you're ready to be baptized. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a perfect Christian. Every time we see the gospel preached in the New Testament, through the book of Acts, immediately people were baptized into the faith. So if that's you, if you've never been baptized, please come and have a chat with us. We would love to be on that journey with you. It is a beautiful time, and we get to do it in the ocean, which is cool. Half the people last time got baptized before they got out there because a few waves came in, but that's okay. That's all right. We're actually in week three in a series called By Faith, and it's in the book of Genesis. We're looking at the life of Abraham. We're looking at the faith of Abraham, and, and we see that Abraham exercises his faith through obedience to God and his call. But there are also times that his faith actually starts to waver and his human nature steps in and he tries to take control through human wisdom. And today we'll be exploring one of these times when Abraham and Sarai take control of a situation and what they do is they try and bring about the promise of God in their own strength. And unfortunately, this produces sin and division. But their sin does not and cannot stop the promises and the grace of God. So where we pick this up is in Genesis 16, verse 1. It says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to a husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. And Sarai said to Abraham, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abraham says, Your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Before we get into the message, I would like to pray. Would you please join me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. But God, when we, we look in your word, sometimes there are these stories that are hard to understand, God. That's shown the, the frailty of the human nature and what we can actually do to each other. So Lord, I pray that you would he, help me preach this message with grace, with truth, and with love, Lord. That in the end, they wouldn't look to me, but they'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I remember when I first became a pastor at New Life, when I was a pastor over at Rabina. I'd been a pastor three months, and the Brisbane Presbytery had came to our church and said, hey, we want you to plant a New Life church in Brisbane. We're going to give you a place to worship, and it's going to be Albert Street. You can come into Albert Street, that amazing church, right in the heart of the city, to do a New Life church plant. And our lead minister at the time, Stu Cameron, comes to me after I'd been a pastor three months and goes, Scott, I think it's you. And I'm like, what? Me? He's like, yeah, there's no one else to go, so you're the best option. <laughs> and I'm like, mate, you've never even heard me preach. He goes, I'm okay with that. I'm not worried. I go, you should be. You should be. And I remember just going, all right, Stu. And I went away and I prayed about it. And I said, God, unless this is you, I'm not going. 
Because even though it's a good plan, it doesn't mean it's your will. And I remember praying about it, and Craig, our worship pastor at the time, he was praying as well. And um, we both felt that Mike was meant to go. Now, Mike was our young adults pastor at the time, and so I threw Mike under the bus, and I said, no, I think it's him. (laughs) And uh, it ended up being that God was sending Mike, so then Mike prayed about it, and he really felt God say, I need you to go. You see, it was a good plan, but it maybe it not have been God's plan. And a couple of years later, Stu came to me again and said, the Twin Towns community have come to us and they want us to plant down there. This is a few years after and they're like, we think it's you. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. I'm like, cool, that's lovely that you think it's me. But I'm going to go away and pray and fast because if it's God's will, then I'll go. And I really felt the sense of God saying, no, Scott, I want you to go on this journey with me. You see, just because it's a good idea and the most reasonable one and it's in line with God's word to preach the gospel, it doesn't mean it's always God's plan. If I went to Brisbane, that would have been an absolute nightmare. And what we find in this story of Abram, just just because it's a good idea, this is what we find. And just because it worked, it doesn't mean it's, it's a good plan. So where are we at in the story of Abraham? Well, we're introduced to him in Genesis 12, where God calls him out of his own country and says, go out of your country, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. So he actually leaves not knowing where he's going. He had so much faith in God that he left his home, everything he knew, to go where he did not know where he was going, to a land he had no idea about, and this promise that he was going to have some kids. But a few years into this journey, Abraham's faith starts to to waver, waver at God's promise. And Abraham actually cries out to God and goes, look, you have given me no offspring. I don't have any kids. You made a promise to me and my offspring that you would give me this land, but I'm 85. I've got no kids. My wife is 75. She's barren. She's never been able to get pregnant, and she's past this childbearing age. You have not kept your promise to me. And as Mike preached so powerfully last week, God actually turns up, and he manifests himself and makes a covenant with Abraham, and he walks the blood path. If you don't know what that is, you can go to last week's message. It's a really powerful message. But essentially what it is, is God is making a promise to Abraham to say, I will carry out this covenant. I'm the one who is going to make this covenant real for you. You don't have to do anything. I promise I will do it. And at the end of that, it says the scripture says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So Abraham has this amazing encounter with God. And so he just waits on God and trusts God's timing and trusts that God will give him a child through Sarai. No, that's not actually what happens. The very next chapter... We find Sarai and Abram taking control of the promise and working out how they can make it happen. Genesis 16.1 says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. You see, before this moment, Abraham and Sarai, they were waiting on God to fulfill this promise through them. But now they're like, ah, this ain't happening. We actually need to step in. God needs a little bit of our help. And humanly speaking, it was impossible for Sarah to conceive at her age. And we think we actually need to step in and make this happen. Francis Chan says that stress that some of us feel, it's lack of faith. It really is. There are times where we feel stressed about our situation because we actually don't trust God 
We don't trust that God is involved or God hears or God wants to be part of it. So we feel this stress. And what they've done is they've taken faith out of the equation and they've taken human control. Now, there are two things I want to point out here. One, Sarah is actually trying to be a good wife, trying to be a good wife. Sarah gets a bad rap here a lot of the time, but just think for a moment. Abraham is sharing with Sarah all these God moments, right? God's speaking to him, manifest to him, going through the blood covenant with him, all these amazing things, and he's sharing that with Sarah, all these miracles, and she's feeling like, I'm the one who's stopping the promise of God to Abraham. She's feeling like a failure. She's feeling like she's the problem. And in her distress and wrestling with not being able to give birth her whole life, she comes up with this plan that would have been really hard for her to accept or even ask. She must have come to a place where she believed that God didn't want to use her and bring about the promise through her. And we see it in verse 2. It says, The Lord has kept me from having children. Can you imagine how she would have felt? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that God is absent from you, that God doesn't want to use you to bring about his plan and purpose? Have you ever felt useless? Well, for Sarai, all these feelings, this pain, this grief, and this lack of faith, they drive her to come up with this plan. And the second thing is, the second thing I want to point out is, um, giving her servant to her husband to continue the family name was actually a common practice in this time and culture. Like in this culture, it was all about preserving the family name. And if you couldn't give your husband a male heir, then that was actually shameful in that culture. Women were shamed because they couldn't either have children or have a son. And so they felt this shame and this guilt not being able to produce an heir for their husband. So often they would actually give their slaves over, give their maidservants over to the husband to continue the family name and adopt those children in as their own. And unfortunately, they had their identity wrapped up in whether they could have kids or not. Now, in saying all that, was it right? Was what Sarai did in giving Hagar over, was it right? No, it wasn't. It wasn't on two levels. First, one was lack of faith. And second, it's not a practice that God endorses or approves of, just to be clear. You see, when we look at the Bible, every man who had more than one wife, it was an absolute nightmare. Like everyone goes, oh, God allowed it. It's like, no, read the Bible. When they have more than one wife, they have major problems because it's actually not God's plan. And we, we, we need to understand this scenario was actually common and accepted back then, but it seems shocking to us when we read it in the 21st century, right, that this would actually happen. So what we can do is we can so easily write off Sarah, but we need to understand her context, her circumstances, how she must have been feeling. This is a good lesson for us as Christians. Let's not write off people for their actions before we hear their stories or understand what they've actually gone through. There are some people that have been abused and hurt in ways that we cannot understand or comprehend. They've been hurt by others and this sin against them can actually produce things like addiction and unhealthy behaviours. You know, we as a church, we need to be a safe place for those people to come and to be healed and to be heard and be listened to we need it to be a place where they can be healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what happens when Sarah comes to Abraham with this plan? It says, Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave it to her to her husband to be his wife. 
He slept with Hagar and she conceived. See, there is proof that some husbands actually listen to their wives. He listened and did what she said. Ladies, miracles do happen. They actually do happen. But what we actually see from this portion of the text is what they actually planned worked. Hagar conceives and therefore that confirms in Sarai's mind that she was the blocker of the promise. Now think about how Sarai feels now. That she conceives this plan, this plan actually works and she's like, oh, I was the problem. And not only was it confirmed to her, but everyone in the tribe, everyone that was around were like, oh, God's rejected you, but he's blessed Hagar. Have you ever felt that God can't actually use you? Like you're the reason that God can't move in your life? I must confess, like I've felt that. I felt that while being a pastor. I remember when I was called to come down here, I was having a bit of a whinge to God after he'd already confirmed it. And I'm like, okay, God, you want me to go? And I'm having a whinge going, but I'm not like Mike. I'm not like Stu. I'm not a good leader like them. And God's like, ah. So what you're saying is I can't do anything down there because of you. And there's this moment where I felt as though God couldn't use me because of my gifts and my talents. And this is how she must have been feeling. Here's the thing. We think that's humility, but it's also lack of faith. Lack of faith that God could actually use me. God literally spoke through a donkey in the Old Testament. So if he can use a donkey, then he can surely use me. He can surely use you. And now what happens is Sarah now thinks that she is the one holding back the promises of God, but at least the plan she came up with worked, right? Here's the scary truth. Just because a plan works doesn't mean it's God's will. You see, we can think that God is pleased with our human effort, something went well or went to plan, but that doesn't mean God is pleased with it or it was his will to do that in the first place. You know, I could build a church of a thousand. There's silence because you're like, no, you couldn't. Your preaching is gross. (laughs) Hear me out. I could build a church of a thousand. I could take business strategies. I could get up here and not preach the gospel, not preach the truth of God's word and just tell you what you want to hear. Tell you that God wants to bless you and make you rich and healthy. I could preach that and have a church of a thousand. Does that mean God is with me? Does that mean it was God's will? You see, success is not an indication of God at work. And poor Sarah is just trying to do the right thing. But doing what we think is right is not always the right thing. Think about when we see homeless people. We see someone homeless on the street and we just desire, we want to give them money, right? We want to help because we have a heart for them, for their situation. We want to hear their story. But giving money is not always the right thing. Sometimes the best thing is food or shelter or just having a listening ear for them. You see, what happens is we we come to these things and and it goes against our natural wisdom or our feelings or our emotions or what culture tells us to do. But we need to be open to the ways of God because they'll always produce way more than human wisdom can produce. And we see that Sarah and Abraham didn't understand this, that the promises of God are not bound by human earthly parameters like time or age or the barrenness of Sarai. You see, God created everything. God can do whatever he wants, and he can do the impossible. They were impatient. Jerry Bridges says, The cure for impatience with the fulfillment of God's timetable is to believe his promises, obey his will, and leave the results to him. So often when God's timetable stretches into years, we become discouraged and want to give up or try and work something out on our own. And this is exactly what Sarai and Abraham do. 
It was this lack of faith, this lack of patience with God that led them to this circumstance. They didn't believe God could do what he said. So for us, the question is, where are we impatient in our lives and not trusting, not trusting God and actually taking back control? See, the other thing they didn't fully understand was marriage. Sarai and Abram didn't understand marriage. Right back in Genesis 2, God says, Let man leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see, God ordained at the start of creation that we would be married to one wife, and they would become one flesh. So therefore, the promises to Abraham were promises to Sarai. That whatever was said to Abram was said to Sarai as well, because they are together as one. That's why Christians hold up marriage as sacred. Because there is a special union that goes on there. This is how it was from the very beginning. And God was asking them to have faith not only in what he just promised them, but his character and his nature from right back at the start of Genesis, the start of creation. And this is a good lesson for us as Christians. We need to take into account God's word from start to finish. All of God's promises makes he makes, and he actually brings them into our lives. Everything that God promises, we can bring him into our situations. Because there's nothing in life that we will face that's not been addressed in the Bible. And God has shown to be faithful in every single one of them. Now, here's a side note. Plans are not bad in and of themselves. The problem is, is when we don't include God in our decision. So I could have just ran off and planted that church in Brisbane, but we need to bring our plans to God. We make plans and we go, God, is this, is this you or is it not? And there's no evidence that Sarah or Abram actually asked God's wisdom before going and doing this. So the story continues. Hagar is pregnant, and Hagar actually starts to despise Sarai. So she's kind of like, yeah, God's chosen me, not you. He's going to bring the promise through me. And this pride actually creeps into Hagar, and she starts demonstrating that to Sarai. And Sarai like, it gets upset, right? And she says to Abraham, you're responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, And now she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. It's like pain on top of pain for her. Like she already feels the pain of not being able to give an heir. And now the person that has is despising her. And Abraham's like, I don't want to be involved. I want nothing to do with this, right? He totally abdicates any responsibility. And he's like, look, do whatever you want with her. He just walks away from it like two hard baskets. And so Sarah starts to treat Hagar badly. She actually starts to abuse her. You see, all of them fell into sin. Hagar's proud. Abraham's fully irresponsible and unloving. And Sarai starts being abusive. This is the fruit of not trusting God. And Hagar was so treated badly, so, so badly treated and abused, she actually runs away while she's pregnant. Could you imagine that? That you're pregnant and you're like, oh, this is so bad, I've got to leave. Just runs off into the desert. In Genesis 16, 7, we read, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress, she answered. And the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that it will be too numerous to count. I love here that, that Hagar runs away But God actively pursues her. God actually goes and finds her. God sees that she has been abused by Sarai and Abram, and he cares. 
he finds her. Even when she wasn't looking for him, he was actively pursuing her. And we can read this part of the text and think, oh, God's telling her to go back and be a slave. But that's not what God is doing here. God's actually calling her back into his covering, into his blessing, into his grace. Because if we remember this, how the story starts, back in Genesis 12, this is what God says. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, from your people and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. That all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God is actually pleading with Hagar going, come back, come back under the blessing. Don't be in the curse. Don't be cursing what I've done. Come back under your blessing. I didn't plan this for you. See, don't let the sin of others make you walk away from me and my blessing. How often do we hear that? How often we know of friends or family that have been hurt by the church or hurt by a Christian and they walk away from God because of that? We throw the baby out with the bathwater. We go, well, if that's what Jesus is like, I want nothing to do. And it's like, no, Jesus is not like me. I am a sinful man. Don't throw away Jesus because of what I do. But this is what has happened here. She's walked away from the blessing of God. And God's going, come back. Don't let their sin pull you away. And so then it continues in verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord also said to her. And what we learned last week is if there's an introduction of a conversation and then it's introduced again, that means that that conversation stopped and we have a new conversation. So there was a period of time before that first part to this next part. So the angel of the Lord said, go back under your mistress. Come back under the promise and Hagar's silent. She's like, no. I'm not even going to answer that. And so the angel of the Lord pursues her again. And he says, the angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Rari. And it is still there between Kadesh and Bered. You see, God actually heard her cry, saw her afflictions, and he actually cares. See, Hagar was used and abused, and God saw it. And God's like, that's not my plan that you went through this. That was not my promise. And she, she, she understands that God sees her affliction. And here's the thing, God sees your affliction. It's not his plan that we have evil happen to us. God hears your prayers and God is active. Do you know the name Ishmael actually means God listens? So this name that he gives Hagar, he's telling her, I hear you, I see you, I see the pain you're going through. You're going to give your son's name. It's going to be God listens because I'm reaching out to you to let you know I see your pain. And through that name Ishmael, God actually wants to bless her. You see, God gives this promise to her and to her son that she would actually have a son. He goes, you're going to have a son. Now, there was no 12-week scan for gender back then, Right? Like you had no idea what you were going to have until it actually came out. So God's like, let me tell you, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with a male son. And you're going to call him Ishmael so you remember that I actually hear you. I'm with you. And Hagar makes this beautiful declaration of faith that she has seen God and that he actually sees her. And I love that Hagar is Egyptian. I love that's in here, right at the start in the book of Genesis. 
Because God loves all people. He wants all people to come under his covering of grace. God wants to bring all people into his promise, especially in Christ Jesus. Not just the Jews, not just the Israelites, not even just the Egyptians or the Greeks or, you know, New South Wales people or, you know, people from Tasmania. I know, shocking, true. He does. He totally does. Everyone gets involved in his grace. You see, we need to know that God gives this name to, to God. Do we know that Hagar is the only person in the Bible to give, to give God a name? She's the only one that names God, and she declares that God is real and true and sees and listens and cares. Do we know that God sees and listens and cares? Do you believe that today? Therefore, sometimes we need to have faith and wait. Wait for God to do what he wants to do in his own timing. A.W. Tozer says it this way, What then are we to do about our problems? We must learn to live with them until such time as God delivers us from them. We must pray for grace to endure them without murmuring. Problems patiently endured will work for our spiritual perfecting. They harm us only when we resist or endure them unwillingly. And this is what we see in this story. There's this resisting of waiting on the promises of God and it brings pain into their life. In the end, it finishes the end of chapter 16. It says, So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham gave him the name Ishmael, God listens, to the son that she bore. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. How often do we step in and think that God needs our help? How often do we think that we're, we're better than God, we know better than him? How often are we not aware that God is actually doing something in our, in our suffering, our adversity, and even in our blessing, blessings that we, we jump in and we derail what he's doing? How often do we try and take control? How often do we let fear win? How often do we trust in human wisdom rather than the wisdom of God? How often do we lack patience? I love that the grace of God is so evident in this story. God is not like, well, you guys are stuffed up again, so I'm out. I'm done with you. God does not reject Sarai. God does not reject Abram. And God does not reject Hagar. God does not say, well, Hagar and Ishmael, they're not part of my plan, so therefore you're on your own, off you go. No, God calls Hagar back into the promise with Abram. And God still keeps his promise to Sarai and Abram 14 years later. They still have to wait another 14 years. Think about that. Before they actually had their son, Isaac. God is the God of grace. Even when we take control and do the wrong thing, God is still working. Do you know that the grace and the love of God are the most powerful things in existence? Way more powerful than even our sin. Does the band want to come up? I love Romans 5.20. It says, But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Where sin abounded in Abraham and Sarai's story, grace abounded much more. Where they walked away from the plan of God, grace came in and drew them back. And this is what I love about the gospel, that we are stuck in our sin. That each and every one of us have sinned and pulled away from God, not lived the life that God has called us to live, but God doesn't leave us there. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much, much more. There is no sin that you have ever done that outdoes the grace and the mercy of God. And that's why Jesus came as a man and died on the cross for you and me to restore us back into relationship. God loves us so much, he's not leaving us in the heap. 
He goes, I'm going to step in. I'm going to become human. I'm going to take upon me your sin and the sin of the entire world. I'm going to nail it to a cross. And when I go to the grave, I'm going to bury it. And when I rise again in victory over sin and death, I'm rising on your behalf. And this is what we see in baptism. There's a representation of what Christ has done. We are dead to sin. All of our sin is buried with Christ. And when we come out of the water, we are new creations in Jesus. That we receive the victory that he bought for us on the cross and in and through his resurrection. That all who repent and believe will be forgiven of their sin. We can't do it. Only Jesus can do it for us. Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not by human power. It's not by human might. It's only by the Spirit of God. Oh, if only Sarai and Abram had the scriptures that we have today. When God makes a promise, He's the only one that can bring that promise into being. We do nothing. God does it all. And we see that in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We're just asked by God to trust, to have faith that God will do what He said He would do. And we have a sure assurance of that in Jesus Christ. And no matter what we do, God is sovereign. He will bring about His plan and purposes for humanity through Jesus. He will. Praise God for that. Because if it was up to me, I would surely stuff it up in my human wisdom. Just like Abram and Sarah did. But God promises to restore all things in the end. The question is, will you trust and be patient? Will you continue to obey and trust in the waiting? Will you continue to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven until he returns? Will you see God's plan and wisdom? Seek them. Seek his wisdom above all else. Will you put your faith in a faithful God? You see, God calls us into faith. He calls us to exercise our faith in obedience to his word, not in human wisdom or power, but in the wisdom and the power of God. You know what? Some of our greatest blessings come with patience. Augustine says, patience is the companion of wisdom. Do you know what comforts me about this story? That sometimes our strength is, is strength, our faith is strengthened through our mistakes. Because God uses them to teach us to trust Him more and more. Take every opportunity, whether good or bad, to increase your faith in a faithful God. Would you please join me in prayer? God, we come before you. I come before you, God. My faith has wavered in so many different ways, God, and and I'm not trusted your faithfulness. So, Lord, I ask for forgiveness. I ask for forgiveness where I've used human wisdom or I've tried to manipulate things to bring them into being and not brought them to you, God. And I stand here on behalf of the congregation, Lord, We've all done this. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. But Lord, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to transform our minds in Christ Jesus, that that we would always put you first, that when we make plans, we'd bring them to you and go, God, is, is this what you want? Teach us, Lord, to have patience, the fruit of the Spirit, to trust you, to know that you are with us, that you hear us. And Lord, there are some of us here today that 
that have been hurt, that have been abused, and, and they feel as though you, you're distant and you don't know and you don't care, God, I pray today would be a lesson that, that you do care, that they can know that you are with them, that it breaks your heart that they've been hurt, but you are a God who listens. God, I pray that you would comfort them, that you would strengthen them to endure what they are facing, God. But I pray also, Holy Spirit, you would bring healing to the heart, bring a deep healing in the midst of their soul, God, that they would testify that you are a God who hears and you are a God who sees. And you might be sitting there and, and you might not have felt that, that God's grace was for you, that you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. And I want to tell you right now that, that God is here. And he's holding out a hand saying, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I just want to call you home. I just want to have a relationship with you. I just want to forgive you. Come in to my blessing. I love you. I want you to be my son or my daughter. I've done everything needed. And you can just simply pray this prayer and just thank God and say, God, I'm a sinner. But I thank you for your grace. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus died for me. And I believe he rose again in victory over sin and death because you love me. I put my faith and trust in him. And Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit that I will be born again anew. In Jesus' name, amen.